Hello and welcome to the PTP Podcast. Hey, and welcome back to the Polishing the Pulpit Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Blankenship. Today's talk is brought to us by Clark Sims, and he deals with what Jesus has done for us, even knowing that we would sin and mess things up. You know, when we take the time to really consider how much Jesus loves us and how much he has done for us, all we can say is, thank you, Lord. Before we begin, we want to remind you that the dates for PTP 2020 will be August 12th through the 20th, and it will be held in Sevierville, Tennessee. Registration hasn't opened just yet, but you can go ahead and start booking your lodging. You can learn more at polishingthepulpit.com. And now, let's listen. I've got four children, and just based on what I've seen up here this week, there's some there's other people here that y'all are y'all are insane too. I heard about the lady that was asked one time if uh, if you had it to do over again, would you still have four children? And she responded to that by saying, "Would I have to have the same ones?" I thought that was pretty good. I can't even pinpoint it right now which one of my wife's pregnancies this happened. I remember, though, one early morning, about two or three in the morning, she couldn't sleep. She was just laying up in bed, not feeling all that good about herself. And I was pretty comfortable. But she started watching an infomercial. Men, they're, 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 they're just not anything good about your wife watching an infomercial. It was an infomercial for a treadmill. So she starts watching it and she gets interested in it. And the people, the people that are advertising the, the treadmill, they looked happy and healthy and good looking and everything and Tracy said, well, I, I want one of those treadmills. I think I can use it. And then she looked over at me and said, well, I think you might could use it too. So she ordered it, and the treadmill came to our house in a box. When it came to our house in a box, it didn't look anything like it did on TV. And I had to put that thing together. She's sitting over my shoulder telling me everything I was doing wrong. And, but after a while, I got the treadmill put together and I noticed a little slip of paper on the floor. I picked it up and, and the font was small, tough to read, but I managed to read these words on that little slip of paper after I'd put that treadmill together. This is what it said. It said... If you weigh more than 250 pounds, it would be best if you don't use this product. I'd work myself to death and I wasn't even eligible to use it, you know. And all I can say is thank you, Lord. 
Woo. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we were created different. We weren't like the rest of creation. God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we became a living soul. And as soon as that happened, our destiny was secure. We were heaven bound. It was all in our hands. We were created with a soul that would last eternally. And as long as we didn't mess it up, there was no question where we were going. Romans 3.23 is a bizarre passage. I believe it with everything in me that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but it's a bizarre passage. It's a statement made by a big picture God that knows how things work out that was made to describe me before I ever came on the scene. And you can be sure of this. I could have been perfect. Not one time have I ever had to sin. Not once. It's always been in my control. It's always been up to me. I didn't have to do it. I didn't have to. But I did. Romans 3 was just right. I can't remember the first one. But I do know since the first one, there's been a bunch. And as soon as I did, I was done. My fate was secure. But then I start reading passages like Isaiah 53. Are you familiar with these words? He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. By His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. And it's not like God got in the ear of Isaiah and said, Isaiah... This is what I want you to print. But don't tell Jesus. You know that's ridiculous. Our only hope knew exactly what he was getting into. It's all my fault. It had to be this way. I did it. 
I sinned. Nobody made me, no, not one time. It's always been my fault. And I'm not the lone ranger in this room either. He knew exactly what he was getting into. And all I can say is thank you, Lord. Without Him, I had zero shot. I was done. But He became my shot. Knowing how I'd treat Him. Knowing how I'd respond to Him. Knowing how you would. Knowing how history would. Matthew and Luke give us pretty detailed accounts of the birth of Jesus. But I think John 1 is my favorite. Just gets right to the point. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. With us. Chose to come. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way, He was tempted in all manner as we are, yet without sin. Now, Hebrews 4.15 is a past tense passage, which means the events described in Hebrews 4 have already happened. He's already faced the temptation. He's overcome them. The statement is made, He's tempted just like every one of us, but He did not sin. But John 1.14 is different. It's where He started. It's where it all began. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's tempted in all ways as we are, which means, how about this? He could have done it. He could have given in. If you don't believe He could have sinned, then you don't believe He was tempted. Because by its very definition, to be tempted means He could have done it. I hate being in the same world with ranch dressing. And to be blunt with you and hope it don't hurt your feelings, I really don't like being around people who like ranch dressing. Now you can put mayonnaise on a cardboard box and I'll eat it. But ranch dressing has zero appeal to me. You can take every food that I love, which are many, and put a dollop of ranch dressing on it and I want zero to do with it. It doesn't tempt me at all, I don't want it. To be tempted means could have done it. There's this moment that happens right before John chapter 1 and verse 14. The Bible doesn't describe it. But I know it happened. Had to. There was a moment where the sun 
left to come here to be tempted in all manner as we are. Does that not mean that He left with the very real possibility He never gets back. If you believe that He was tempted, you have to believe He could have done it. What was that moment like? What was that moment like? He's known infinitely it was coming. What was the perception of the Son? What was the perception of the Father? And then, what is the perception of me? How valuable and how loved must I be for Jesus to put on the line what He did just so I'd have a shot I don't know when the closest time was. I don't know. I wonder. I wouldn't mind in eternity finding out. When was, when was it the closest for him? When did he get to the point of almost giving in at that closest level? Was it Matthew 4? When he's fasted for 40 days and nights and he's vulnerable and he's weak. We miss breakfast and we go berserk. Forty days and night, and the devil, the enemy, hammers him with everything he's got. And every temptation he presents is enticing, alluring, appealing. And every time Jesus bowed up and said, it is written, and he resisted, he didn't give in. Whew, with my soul hanging in the balance, he didn't give in. I wonder how close it was. And all I can say is thank you, Lord. Could it have been in John chapter 8? Could it have been when he's trying to do good and he's teaching and, and these religious jokers come in with this woman caught in the act of adultery and throws her down on the ground like a piece of meat? Could it be when they thought they'd set up the perfect test where whatever Jesus said, they'd be able to accuse Him? Could He have been close then? He stooped down and wrote on the ground as if He didn't hear them. How close must He have been? He knew they were up to no good and they've been doing it over and over again and He doesn't, he doesn't say anything. Would you have lost your cool there? To know somebody has that kind of thought about you, trying to put you in that kind of dilemma. He stoops, he writes on the ground. You know he says the perfect thing, but how close do you think he was? How tough and challenging was it to keep his composure and 
and say just the right thing and, and take a pause when he needed it. With my soul hanging in the balance. Whew. And all I can say is thank you, Lord. Matthew 26 is tough. It just is. He's struggling in Matthew 26. He's known infinitely, eternally. He's known his entire life on this earth as a response. He's known what was coming. But in Matthew 26, it's here. It's just around the doorstep. And look, he's struggling. My, my, my entire eternal destiny, my hope for a shot is in his hand and he's struggling. He's having a hard time. You remember what Simon Peter tells him in Matthew 26? I'll never leave your side. If I have to go to prison, if I have to die, I'll always be there. You remember what Jesus had to tell him? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny three times that you know me. This blew Simon Peter's mind. Because I, I, I'm convinced that I believe this. I believe when Simon Peter said, I'll never leave your side, I believe he meant it. Here's the reason I believe that. Because I've been in a lot of settings like he was. That upper room, disciples of Christ all together. I've been in those environments. I've said the same kind of things. And I know like Simon Peter found out, when you get out by the fire, it gets it's different. The they that you're around is different. Jesus said before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Simon Peter, no way, it's not going to happen. And then they make their way toward the Garden of Gethsemane. If you ever wonder how much Jesus was struggling, it's when they go into the Garden of Gethsemane, that's what proves it for me. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus is struggling so desperately as he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, that he wants a guy that he knows is going to deny him, that he even knows him. He wants him to go into the garden and to be with him. He needs skin that desperately. He needs flesh to support him that desperately that he is bringing somebody in that he knows in just a matter of mere moments is going to deny that he even knows him. How desperate did Jesus have to be? How much did he have to be struggling? And all I can say is thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for keeping going. But then he started to pray. And you know what he said when he prayed? Father, 
remove this cup. You know all that. But you know what he was saying, don't you? Father, I don't want to do it. I've known all eternity, my destiny. But I'm standing on the doorstep and I don't want to do it. Father, anyway, I don't want to do it. Is there any way possible? I don't want to do it. And then he said what I believe to be one of the most beautiful words in the entire Bible. He said, nevertheless. You'd be hard-pressed to look in your Bible and find a word that compares to nevertheless. Because when Jesus said that, He said, Father, it's not about me. It's about Your will being done. You know what, my friends, tonight... If we just get a grasp of that word, nevertheless, we'd never have an issue with, with the role of women in the church. We'd never have a struggle trying to figure out what a person has to do to be saved. We'd never have to figure out what items need to be included in our worship. So many questions that people in the religious world ask about. If we would just get a grasp of nevertheless, we'd never have to deal with those issues because nevertheless says it ain't about any of us. It's about the will of God. And Jesus said, even if I don't want to do it, I'm going to do the will of God. Can we make that same commitment tonight? I'm going to do the will of God even if it's not what I want to do. Now there's a lot of events that's going to keep on happening that's going to lead Him toward Calvary. But I will say this, once He said nevertheless, there became a spring in His step. He heads to the entrance of the Garden of Gethsemane and He makes His way with a loving spirit to be crucified at that place called Calvary to give me a shot. Don't make it easy on Him. It was tough. And He struggled. But somewhere in His vision, I was there. And He knew that was the only way for me to have a shot. Question for you. Does realizing His struggle lessen your view of Him or increase it? My friend, you're entitled to your view, but I'll tell you what I think. Knowing what He went through 
only makes my view skyrocket. I'm kind of sorry we reserve it for the children primarily because it's one of the grand messages that I know. Jesus does love me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And all I can say is thank you, Lord. Can you imagine somebody who loves us like that, who's paid a price for us like that, can you imagine us ever doing anything but submitting ourselves to Him completely and wholly with everything we've got? Baptized for the remission of my sins to become a part of His body? Are you kidding me? How quick can I get to the water? The prospect of living one more life, erring Christian, without being heaven bound is a prospect that ought to scare us all. There's not a reason for you to leave this facility lost. Don't you want to submit yourself to somebody who loves you like that? Who put that much on the line? Just so I'd have a shot. And all I can say is thank you, Lord. Will you sing a chorus or two with me, if you don't mind? Where He leads me, I will follow. Where He leads me, I will follow. Where He leads me, I will follow and I'll go with Him with Him all the way where He leads me I will follow where He leads me I will follow where He leads me I will follow now go with Him with Him all the way and all I can say
us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening. We would appreciate it if you would share this podcast with your friends and leave us a review on Apple iTunes or Google Play. For more PTP information, visit polishingthepulpit.com or search for Polishing the Pulpit on Facebook.